I honestly think that Jeff's biggest concern about Amazon was always that it would become a bureaucracy. And I think this is the opportunity to change the forward-looking narrative on Amazon is, are they going to go into kind of the, the slow bureaucratic mindset or are they going to return to their roots as a as a scrappy, small team oriented, highly accountable organization? John Rossman is an advisor, keynote speaker, author, and the founder of Rossman Partners, a management consulting team. He's a former Amazon executive who helped to lead the launch of the Amazon Marketplace business in 2002. He's authored three books, including The Amazon Way, and he's also the author of a weekly newsletter called The Digital Leader Newsletter, found at Substack, where this week he proposes a turnaround plan for Amazon, which we're going to be talking about on this week's show. John Rossman, it's great to talk with you again. Great to be back. Nice to see you, Todd. The backdrop for your piece is a reset inside Amazon in recent weeks. The company has started the process of laying off around 10,000 employees, or perhaps even twice that many by one report. It's also scaling back and exiting or eliminating a long list of products and services and businesses based on reports that we've seen and things that we've found out from inside the company. Let's just start with your informed outside assessment of what's been going on. I mean, this seems to be unprecedented, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, a friend and one of the readers in my newsletter suggested like, hey, John, I'd love to hear your analysis of what's going on at Amazon. And as I got more and more into it, it was fascinating to me, like how many initiatives and companies and bets they had going on that I really didn't have visibility to. And going in, my my thesis wasn't really like anything other than like, yeah, there's probably, you know, some tightening up that we need to do, you know, a little belt tightening or whatnot. But after going through it, I come away with a different perspective. And I was a partner at a turnaround and restructuring firm for 12 years after I left Amazon. And I came away with it going, oh, you need to take a very serious rationalization of this for a variety of reasons, not just a financial perspective, but I, I think a real cultural turnaround for Amazon. And this Substack newsletter and this conversation is based off of what I found. And it's a very big company, very complex company, and just synthesizing what we know and some things that you may not know about some of the initiatives they have. And beyond that, you're also offering at least a framework that a company in Amazon's position could use to start the turnaround. And we'll get into that in, in just a second. But you mentioned at the outset of your newsletter that you actually grimaced when that reader suggested that you write this piece. Why was this uncomfortable for you? And why did you ultimately decide to go ahead? Maybe it's the same thing that's been holding some of Amazon back from admitting this truth, because, you know, I was there early at Amazon, I have so much respect for the leadership, for the culture of the organization, for the tremendous businesses that they've built and how they go about thinking through things. Like I've essentially made my living by helping others understand that and adapt it for their purposes, that it's kind of like, you know, admitting a truth that you, you really don't want to admit. And that was really why I grimaced was like, Oh, yeah, like it really is time to 
you know, go through this, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, cleansing process or whatever, and do a reset. And and that's really the start kind of of the the turnaround is really just a mindset of like instead of taking things from a you know, okay, let's take down 10% or let's take down 15% or find a little budget here to, to chop away it. It's like, no, you got, you got to flip the script on that. And you have to start with a complete white slate of paper. There's one approach called zero based budgeting ZBB, which is essentially starts everything with a zero base, zero approval level. And then you rationalize your way back to whatever level you want to do, if at all. And I think that that is really the mindset I came away with is like, oh, they need to re-rationalize more or less everything. How does the situation at Amazon today compare to when you were there up through 2005? Very comparable in that in 2000, they did a 15% layoff, right? So so people are saying this is the biggest layoff in Amazon's history. In an absolute sense, it is. In a, in a relative sense, it, it's not. And so, you know, we were a very constrained organization. I remember having debates uh, like we needed three account managers to launch the marketplace business. And I had to go. I, I, I remember a conversation Jim Harding and I went and had with Jeff Wilkie and Jeff Blackburn about getting a couple of customer service managers to come work on the marketplace business and everything like it was it was that type of mindset. Um, and I'm not saying that that is absolutely right, but we obviously we're trying to get a lot done with very, very little. And you, you actually, you know, find some ways to get big things done and you, you have to say no to a lot of things in that mindset. And so I think in that way, there was a lot of doubters and we really were rethinking the business. And I think part of the cultural challenge at Amazon, and I think we'll kind of get into this, is, you know, call it the past 12 or 13 years it's just been go, go, go there, right? Stock's been up and to the right, always more resources, always think bigger, bigger, bigger. I, I think that that is maybe the end of the era that we're at is going from kind of that always think bigger, more is better mindset to something that's more rationalized. Well, in addition to recommending that Amazon do what you call a brutal rationalization of their capital expenses, you also point out that they need to spin off or mothball the high-risk big bets. And that's where I think for some people who've been at the company for a while, who are used to the status quo, this might be painful. Let's set the context of the capital expenditures. Like this is where my, where my eyes started to pop wide open and everything. So 2009, Amazon capital expenditures was $16.8 billion. 2020, $40 billion. 2021, 61 billion, a lot of that into fulfillment centers. 2022, again, expected to be 60 billion, but they're largely downsizing from a fulfillment center build out. And a lot of that capital expense is now shifting towards continued AWS expansion. So $60 billion in capital expenditure annual as a relative basis. Apple, $11 billion. Meta, $39 billion and, and cutting dramatically. Microsoft, $24 billion. And Alphabet at $30 billion. So that just gives you some proportion. And so the big bets that you're referencing. So to me, in Amazon's realm, a big bet is something that has multifaceted, significant risks to it. There's technical risks to it. 
there's regulatory risks to it, and there's likely customer adoption and business model risk to it, meaning it's an unproven value proposition and, and monetization capability, right? You've done some great reporting on on one of the big bets, and they are seriously unwinding that, it sounds like, which is the Alexa and devices business. And that's just one that we're hearing about right now. Another one that caught my eye was Project Kuiper. Project Kuiper is an initiative to launch a constellation of low Earth orbit satellites to provide low latency, high speed broadband connectivity. They're launching, I think, 3,700 satellites and have committed $10 billion of capital to it. And I just scratched my head like, why is this Amazon's business to do? Not only is it a question of why is it Amazon's business, it's also a question of why isn't it Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos's rocket company and commercial space company. Another one on your list of big bets to cut back or get out of is drones. And my colleague John Cook and I talk about this one a lot. We're surprised that they're still pushing ahead with the drone initiative. You write, let others blaze the trail of likely accidents, regulatory challenges, expenses, etc., and then make a bold move. You write that you're a big skeptic. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big skeptic of why Amazon needs to be the leader and take the bloody noses along the way on this. And, you know, in June of this year, they said they'd be, you know, doing commercial launches in California this year. I don't think I haven't heard about those things um, happening or whatnot, but but I, I just can't get my head around, you know, the type of volume that it would take for customer deliveries to really make an ROI out of this. It, it, and, and maybe this has always been, you know, my issue, right? Which is I'm not thinking big enough uh, and, and whatnot, <laughs> but it still makes me go, hmm, kind of scratches my head on this. From both an investor and a management attention standpoint, spin it out, sell it. When this takes traction, like you'll be in the market to be able to acquire an at scale drone operation and everything. But this type of thing doesn't belong in your your mature uh, business portfolio. In a similar vein, you include on your list Zooks, which is the company that Amazon acquired. It's a fully autonomous electric vehicle technology company. And a few weeks ago, I got to talk with Chris Ermson, who is the CEO of Aurora. Uh, autonomous driving technology company that Amazon has a major investment in. And I asked him about the relationship with Amazon and Zooks, and he made it clear, although I'm sure he doesn't want to step on the toes of his major investor and potential long-term customer, he would prefer that Amazon not own Zooks, that they look to Aurora for this type of technology, which is exactly what your point is. Yeah. You know, the information did an interesting breakdown of five or six other autonomous driving. Every single one of them, there's doubt about ongoing cash flow operations, which essentially means that Amazon is footing the bill for this. And then in TechCrunch, they had a comment that Zooks has chosen one of the most expensive possible paths in the autonomous driving industry, seeking to build a fit-for-purpose self-driving passenger vehicle from the ground up along with the software and AI to provide its autonomous driving capabilities. So you start putting these data points together, none of it gives you the confidence that 
you know, in the next five years, if that's a reasonable time frame, in the next five years, you're going to have a market making positive ROI type of initiative here. I think that that is a hard stretch to believe. We're talking this week with John Rossman. He's an advisor, keynote speaker, and a former Amazon executive. And he writes a weekly newsletter called The Digital Leader, which can be found at Substack. This week's installment is his turnaround plan for Amazon. And toward the end of his newsletter, he writes about what he calls breaking up the Beatles. And we'll get into that coming up next. I wanted a career in IT, but I didn't know where to start. WGU makes it simple. Their accredited online degree programs cover all kinds of IT specialties, and they have valuable industry certifications built in at no extra cost. The payoff? Having those certs back up my degree makes me look even better to future employers. A nonprofit university that includes top industry certs in their programs? I choose WGU. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Rossman. We're talking about his turnaround plan for Amazon. John, we've talked about some of the businesses that you would put on the list of things for Amazon to consider significantly downsizing or scaling back. This one, though, is kind of like the third rail. You write that Amazon should spin off Amazon Web Services. Or at least seriously think about it. And it's partially to release the trapped shareholder value that is held within AWS. It's significantly discounted within the holding structure that they're in. But I think more importantly is that it would allow at least two great companies to be more independent, move faster, make better decisions for their shareholders and for their customers. And the, the combined size and complexities of these businesses and the conflicts that come into these businesses um, are impacting a lot of you know, potential deals that they could be doing, right? And so, you know, just for example, um, I know that um, AWS gets impacted within the retail segment because retailers don't want to be, uh, you know, subscribing to a service that benefits Amazon. I think the same thing, I think it hampers a lot of Amazon's potential markets to pursue in financial services because so many financial service companies are massive AWS partners. And so I think that just the conflicts have gotten to be pretty complex there. Well, AWS at times, and especially recently, floats Amazon financially. There would be quarters when Amazon would post a sizable loss as a company, if not for AWS. This would be a tough pill for Amazon's executives to swallow. All the investors already see that, right? And and so I, I think it would create a tremendous amount of shareholder value, both short-term and long-term, and, and everybody knows the numbers. But I think it would help everybody to you know sharpen their pencil and defer a little bit right we were back at the capital expenses amazon's at roughly 60 billion dollars in capital aws is now 40 to 50 percent of that so that's call it 25 to 30 billion dollars of capital a year it's an 80 billion dollar business and growth that is slowing down right growth has slowed from 35 percent to 27 percent and so, you know, you've got to wonder if everybody needs to look to defer some and use capital 
constraints to, to force better utilization, better innovation, better lifespan within their existing infrastructure. This gets back to another component of your turnaround plan for Amazon, and that is a return to frugality. Of course, frugality is one of the leadership principles. It's remarkable when you look at this and you look at the CapEx and everything we're talking about, it feels like frugality has not been top of the list of the leadership principles. Over the past, I don't know, call it decade almost, I've, I've kind of joked about frugality being the forgotten LP, you know, and, <laughs> um, and and I think that it has been expressed in different ways, meaning, it, it, you know, still the do more with less constraint driven innovation mindset, one could argue, but but true frugality and getting back to the to the door desk culture and desperation's the mother of invention, right? And I and I do think that having to figure out how to make tough choices up front, how to get things launched with fewer meetings, fewer committees, fewer decision makers, more engineers that are building things, I think the whole tempo within the company would actually speed up with a complete delayering, which Bezos has pointed at himself. I honestly think that Jeff's biggest concern about Amazon was always that it would become a bureaucracy. And I think this is the opportunity to change the forward-looking narrative on Amazon is, are they going to go into kind of the, the slow bureaucratic mindset, or are they going to return to their roots as a, as a scrappy, small team-oriented, highly accountable organization? On the subject of the LPs, the leadership principles, you point out that in addition to frugality, they need to focus on the ownership component. In other words, they need to think long-term and not sacrifice long-term value for short-term results. The and simplify part of invent and simplify, which obviously goes along to some extent with frugality sometimes, and deliver results. And this is where my minor nit to pick with the LPs is they've become so big. There's 16 of them now, and it's possible to really do anything you want with them <laughs> as this list that you just came up with illustrates, yeah. depending on the lens that you look at them through. Yeah. It takes real wisdom to use the right leadership principles in the, in the right manner. And I, I think that, you know, wisdom's always required. And I do think that the chapter that they're heading into, I think they need to emphasize those leadership principles um, along with customer obsession, but the, those leadership principles need to take the driver's seat. And I kind of call it the end of the think big era. Um, and I think that, you know, people will, you, you know, I, I know I can predict some of the reactions at Amazon will be, John, you're not thinking big enough. John, you're not thinking about long-term. I actually am thinking about long-term enterprise value when I am suggesting these because I think Amazon has slipped into the gray zone of becoming bureaucratic and becoming an organization that doesn't move with decisiveness, always care about its customers and act in the best interest of shareholders long term. And so I, I think these moves are completely in line with the long term ownership mindset. But is it day two at Amazon? That's coming up next. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, 
As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Jeff Bezos, a few years ago, got a question from an employee about what does day two look like? And Amazon made a lot of hay with this, so we know what he said at the time. I think this one is a very important question. What does day two look like? <laughs> what does day two look like? Um, I know the answer to this. Day two is stasis followed by irrelevance followed by excruciating, painful decline, followed by death. <laughs> and that is why it is always day one. Is it day two at Amazon? Well, I think part of the challenge is kind of a very limited framework of your choices are day one or day two. <laughs> I actually think it's it's more subtle than that, right? I think there's day one, but I think that there's a, at least a day three, if not a day four. And I think that if you broaden your lens and you, and you said like, it's not just a day one choice or a day two choice, but there's a day one, day two, or, or and maybe day three or day four is this kind of death uh, March that Bezos is referring to, but clearly they are in a different era than, you know, when I was there, when people before me were there and certainly through kind of the last 10 or 14 years. And I think to think that it is anything different than a new era is, is not sincere, crisp thinking. And so, you know, whatever you want to call it, I think it is an era of, profitable, responsible, driven growth and innovation with investments. I'm not at all suggesting a number of cuts in programs that could be on the table, such as healthcare. I think that business and industry doesn't have all the risks that I was talking about relative to those big bets. And I think that there's a number of really great things that Amazon should continue to do and, and invest more in. I think Amazon's on a slippery slope relative to customer satisfaction. There's an index called the American Customer Satisfaction Index. Amazon has oftentimes pointed at this when they were at the top of the heap, right? And so, so I'm not bringing in an, a data point that they themselves haven't prized as a bellwether saying um, how great their customer satisfaction is. So at their peak, they were at an 86. They're now at a 78 on that behind companies like Costco Wholesale in there. Another consulting firm did a survey of a thousand Amazon customers and found that nearly a third of them reported regularly receiving products late or getting an item of low quality. And that matches up completely with my own personal experiences. And I am a high volume Amazon customer. And you just don't count on two-day delivery like you it used to be two-day delivery. Oftentimes, it's a prime item, and then you get into the final checkout, and it's like, oh, five-day delivery commitment, right? Oftentimes, they miss commitments. There's all types of customer satisfaction things that they need to invest in. I think that there is 
investment needed in the marketplace, both in the seller experience and cleaning up the the customer experience. And I think the other big continued investment, and they've taken a good step towards owning this, but is uh, employee safety, especially at the fulfillment centers. And that is absolutely both the right thing to do and an extremely smart, both short-term and long-term thing to do. So they should actually, I think, think about how to increase the spending in those areas to drive the right results, because it's really about protecting what is truly their number one asset, which is their brand. And their brand is defined by customer trust. And I think it is showing a little bit of age and a little bit of deterioration. And I think that is the real risk relative to Amazon is that with all these distractions and all these competing needs for capital, I think they're playing a a treacherous game here. You write in the conclusion to your newsletter that you remain an advocate for the leadership and the business foundations that led to this company. You're optimistic about the future, but only if they take these kinds of drastic steps to reinvent themselves in some ways. And that gets to the last question I wanted to ask you, John, and that is, what is Amazon? And I want to put some context around this. At the end of press releases, companies have their standard boilerplate. And most companies have a phrase to describe themselves like, I don't know, e-commerce company, web services, powerhouse, whatever phrase they might use in three, four or five words. If you read to the bottom of Amazon's news releases, they don't say what they are. They say what they do and what guides them. It's always struck me in part because personally as a journalist, I sometimes struggle to describe this company. I usually do it depending on the context. An e-commerce company, a tech giant, a cloud giant. A logistics company, right. (laughs) Exactly. What is Amazon? And how should the answer to that question inform the decisions that they make as they go through a process such as the one you're outlining here? It's a big question. You know, I'll refer back to, I got to travel a little bit with Bezos and we went and saw one of our enterprise clients and he was asked about how does Amazon make investment and innovation decisions. And he said, I think about durable customer needs. And he goes, I can't imagine a world where a customer wants higher prices. I can't imagine a world where a customer wants less selection. And I can't imagine a world where a customer wants slower delivery. So it's in those three swim lanes that I'm I'm going to be continuing to invest and try new things in. And I think those are still three great swim lanes for their retail business um, to stay associated with. AWS has a different set of customers and a different set of durable needs, but I think they can stay true to those durable customer needs. And, and I think that by you know having those swim lanes of oriented strategy, long-term strategy, that helps you stay on track relative to the things you're trying. And I, and I think this Think Big Era, they went a little too far from those durable customer needs and took on just too many multi-risk big bet initiatives. And, And part of it was definitely fueled by the needs during the pandemic. And I certainly commend them for many of the heroic, you know, efforts they took on during the pandemic and trying to fulfill customer needs. But 
I think they're largely recalibrating. And now this is tough medicine. And really, at the end of the day, my advice is like, don't let this phase linger. Like, don't do a cut, do another cut, do another cut, you know, and everything like take it all now, make it harsh, make it sharp. And that lets the surviving organization actually put it behind them and move forward with distinction and definition. And that's where I think everybody will win as painful as it is. Like I I find, and I know nobody finds joy in having to do this or to recommend this. It's just what's needed. John Rossman's newsletter on Substack is The Digital Leader. Be sure to check that out and subscribe. You can find a version of his newsletter from this week about Amazon on GeekWire, and we'll link to everything from the show notes, including John's books, which I highly recommend, including the Amazon way. John, this has been great. Thanks for taking the time. Todd, thanks for the conversation and and really appreciate all the great work that, that you guys have done. And I, I used a lot of that as my research into this. And so thanks for everything you do. Great. Thank you for listening. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop, and we will be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.